you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fear gripping Wall Street today as trade tensions slam stocks. The Dow plunging more than 750 points for one of its worst days of the year. Today's brutal sell-off leaving investors on edge. So, what should you be doing with your money following a day like today? We have the smartest minds in business here to break it all down. A special edition of Fast Money starts right now. For live from the Nasdaq market side, I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. A Monday market meltdown as Wall Street hands in its worst day of the year. The selling, it was widespread. All 11 sectors finishing the day deep in the red, led lower by technology. The cause, China, that nation effectively weaponizing its currency, sending the yuan lower, turning the trade war into what many are considering right now, a full-blown currency war. We've got full team coverage of this dramatic turn of events. Let's kick things off with Bob Bassani, live on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. And Melissa, we had a tough day here. I want to give you a sense of what happened uh, last time. Uh, China devalued its currency. This was about five years ago in August 2015. The last time China devalued its currency was in August 2015. That happened on three consecutive days of devaluations. That was beginning on August 11th. The market was very different than back then. It was a different picture for the overall markets. China's currency was appreciating back then, and that's a big difference than now. The stock market in China was just roaring. It was up about 40 percent, the Shanghai composite, in the first half of the year through June. But then the economy began slowing down, and the Chinese stock market simply collapsed after June and into early August. Uh, by August 11th to 13th, they started the devaluation. The S&P here didn't react too much. We were only down about 1% on that first day of the devaluations. But then our markets dropped about 10% a week later. It rallied back. But the big deal was it was sort of acting in concert with other global markets. It wasn't just China. There was issues out there of fear of interest rates being too high. Similar concern today. And the global economic slowdown that began manifesting itself around that time. The yuan devaluation of 2015 is also famous because it weakened other emerging market currencies, and it also led to a big drop in commodities. So, for example, oil dropped 30% between July and August. Copper dropped nearly 20%. And I think the concern here, Melissa, is that the added component here is that the trade war is very, very real right now. That component wasn't nearly uh, as front and center in 2015 as it is today. So we have a new overlay that's making people a little more concerned. Back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Pisani. So with all that said, is 2015 any sort of a blueprint of what we can expect going forward here after today's massive sell-off? What do you do with your money, Guy? Yeah, I think it is. And we've mentioned August of 2015 a number of times on this show. And go back do, do a little history lesson and see what happened by February of 2016, if you recall. The S&P was cratering down to 1810, bottomed on the day when Jamie Dimon announced at $54 he was buying J.P. Morgan stock. We had something come out out of, out of OPEC, I believe, that night. And there was also a Deutsche Bank bond offering. Those three things pointed to the bottom of the equity market. But in my opinion, I think you're in for a couple months of some rocky roads. I don't think today is it. We can get into any number of reasons why. But I think the small caps have been telling you this. And quite frankly, I think 
The gold market has been trying to tell you something for quite some time. If today is not it, what else is there? <laughs> well, there's ripple effects, right? Yeah. I mean, so I think you have to ask yourself the question of what else is going to go on out there, right? So we're in a currency war of some sorts. So what does that mean? You know, you look at Korea, the Korean won had a big move today. A lot of the other Southeast Asian currencies had a big move today, and it's going to force all of them to devalue as well. So there are ripple effects to that. You see our bond market people coming in and buying bonds. What do you buy in this environment? You buy bonds, you buy gold, you buy Bitcoin. All of those were up today. And I think you can still stick with that playbook, at least for the time being, because we haven't seen all the ripple effects. We, so, we yeah. don't have a Fed funds futures for currency devaluations. No, we don't. <laughs> and, we and don't know if the U.S. Treasury is going to step in. There's no way of handicapping, is what I'm saying, what the next play is. So how in that scenario do you invest in the stock market, well, let's or hope do in, you? Sorry, no. yeah, let's, let's hope in some case that, that we know that history doesn't rhyme. It tends to repeat itself. And let's hope that history repeats itself in terms of how we approach our currency on the global stage, which is not to go in there and devalue it. And you talked about 2015. I, I think it's important to understand the context. In 2015, this is pre-Brexit. This is pre-protectionist around the world, pre-our elections, pre-a change in stance on how we've been using sanctions and trade restrictions in addition to tariffs in a global environment where every other country in the world has started to do this themselves or is reacting to what we have done. So you, you talk about the setups and, and think about why we were so scared also in, in basically June to August of 2015 is that when China begins devaluing the currency, whether you believe it's warranted or not, and they're going to claim right now is warranted, you have a case where it means massive risk of capital flight. It means if you think about uh, China's economy, which everybody knows has significant debt uh, and credit issues behind it, um, the, the fear of capital flight, the fear of a disorderly uh, depreciation, I think is part of what's weighing on markets. So the bottom line of that is that the setup for this time around it's is worse. worse. Right. Significantly worse. worse. Significantly worse. How are you feeling yeah. today? Uh, not very good. Uh, you know, I try to really <laughs> Sorry, take a Karen. step back. That's, you know, on a day like today, I'm long. I'm always long oriented. I always have long exposure. So a day like today, you know, this is just blood everywhere. But um, what I try to do is think about, OK, what do I want to own? What do I think could really get overdone? Right. So I, I'm not out there buying today, but I do have some things that I really do think I want to own at better prices. So Google, for example, has reversed almost not quite, but almost that entire run up from their earnings. So that's one I would want to buy. I think Bank America, the most U.S. centric of the banks, I think that's looking pretty good. I think. But I think. Things are starting to feel a little bit out of control, right? And that they could get more out of control. And so that concerns me. I do. The one thing that I had that worked today was uh, S&P puts, which I've always talked about. You need to have the protection, particularly two weeks ago. They were practically giving it away. So now what do you do with the VIX here at 24 and a half? That, to me, is actually a little more difficult of a decision than what do you buy? Totally. Because these things could just get shellacked, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm thinking tomorrow it might be a little bit worse. I'll probably start to sell some of those, as difficult as that will be. We have probably yeah. new viewers tonight, and this is going to sound somewhat counterintuitive, but most everyone wants the market to go higher. And if you do, you want tomorrow to open lower yeah. in a meaningful way. And what is that meaningful way? Well, go back and look what the S&P low was on, I believe, December 24th. It traded down to 2709 uh, excuse me, 25.09, give or take. 25.09 on the lows. Recent high in the S&P was 30.25, give or take. 
So a 50% retracement of that entire move is about 4 or so percent from here, which is not unreasonable to think we can't make over the next couple days. Puts you in around 27.20 in the S&P 500. In my world, that's a huge support level. And quickly, I don't want to get too wonky on this, but and I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think it's the Chinese necessarily devaluing their currency as much as it was them no longer supporting, supporting their currency, which is nuanced but important. Well, I think that is the key question for this market. Is this a currency war or is this a currency crisis? And there's a difference between the two. A war implies the Chinese have control over the currency. A crisis implies they are beginning to lose control, which means that the ripple effects into the equity markets, into the stock market will go on for longer than we expected if things just stabilized here. And I would just say that that China, for the last five to ten years, whether it's MSCI inclusion, whether it's commodities settled in Yuan um, or renminbi, uh, whether it is seeking to have Beijing and that part of the world be a clearinghouse for global securities, China is doing everything they can uh, to basically become a global reserve currency. So to think that they're, you know, kind of nilly-nilly, you know, kind of throwing around some numbers here and deciding let's let's play. I think I think every move here um, they see as critical. And I know that may be, you know, no kidding. But for people that think that China's going to mess around, um, I think it's, it's very clear that the capital flight issue is a very important one. And what Karen said, just in terms of you know, smart things that she's doing in terms of options, one of the things that I think you should not be doing in this environment is people tend to uh, you know, add a lot of bells and whistles to a portfolio. They tend to gross it up. They start to put on some, some hedges against things that don't necessarily make sense. Simplify. Don't get more complicated at a time like this. All right. Let's bring to the conversation to Chief Investment Strategist at Blackstone, Joe Zidal. Joe, great to have you back here on a day like today. Do things, in your view, do the mark, does your market outlook turn much dimmer and less optimistic after a day like today? Well, I think clearly, you know, number one, no one wins a trade war uh, is point number one. And point number two is no one wins a currency war. So the risks are definitely elevated. But I continue to believe that we will arrive at some sort of an agreement with China. It's probably not anytime soon. My best guess is we don't see any sort of resolution to trade in 2019. So I think, you know, for the rest of the year, we will see volatility. And uh, my view is that the highs that we hit just a couple weeks ago will probably end up being the highs for the year. So I do think we'll see a a more volatile and choppier market. Um, But if you think about the markets, they sort of operate like a pendulum. The further you, sw- you swing to an extreme on one side, you're going to swing back to the other side. And I think we're beginning to see that uh, in the markets over the course of the last week and, and certainly today. So I think if there's a silver lining, it's that this is going to probably feel a lot like the period from September uh, uh, 12th of, of last year to December 24th, which is something that Guy just mentioned a minute ago. Uh, and in that instance, in the fourth quarter last year, we saw equities leading credit lower. And that's always, in my opinion, that is a classic false alarm when equities lead credit lower. And that's what we've seen again over the last week. Equity markets have fallen far more than credit spreads had widened out. That tells me that this is still in the financial markets, which means I think it will just lead to buying opportunities. So your price target for the year is 28.75. Four sectors that you're recommending. Two of the sectors are extremely exposed to trade war and currency impact, industrials and materials. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how do you get your head around saying that we have got limited upside in the S&P 500, oh, this trade war could get worse, and yet we want people to be in these two sectors? I think as, I, as we put together our buy list, it would be those global cyclicals, it would be those companies that are exposed, exposed to consumer discretionary. And the underlying reason behind all that is that I don't think this is the end of the economic expansion. I don't think our economic expansion is going to end with uh, a trade war uh, or with these sorts of, of policy mistakes. So I see this as a mid to late cycle pause where we, we do see volatility, but I still think this is an economic expansion that can go on for years. And again, the base case is that we do get some resolution to trade with China. Granted, the currency escalation, uh, that's a, it's a big risk. You can't ignore it. So you bring up credit markets, which is really important because they kind of maybe they're weakening a little, but not a lot. Right. So if you say credit follows equities, that's a mistake. What then makes credit unravel if not equities? Right. They right. don't just unravel in a vacuum. No, I think you, you raise a great point. And, and the difference between an equity investor and a credit investor is this. When you're investing in equities, you're generally thinking about quarterly profits. You're thinking about cash flows. And equity investors tend to get really geared toward quarterly profits or the profit cycle, whereas credit investors are primarily concerned with return of principal. Right. Return. Of, you know, are they going to get their money back? So as a result, credit investors tend to get more geared toward economic cycles. And so the reason why we're seeing credit hanging in there is because there's this view that this is not the end of an economic expansion. What would cause credit to unravel, in my opinion, is if we are facing the end of an economic expansion, if we're facing the beginning of the next recession. I don't think we're anywhere near there yet. Our view is we don't see a recession until the year 2021 at the earliest. And I think this is a cycle that could you know, even go on longer than that. We are talking about whether or not this is a currency war or currency crisis. I mean, at this point, if it is, let's say, a war, we've only got China firing the one shot on its side. Um, If the U.S. does try to intervene to the the best of its ability, I mean, we don't know if it really has the firepower to do so. But if it does, does that make your market outlook worse? I think it would. And there's a couple things to, to consider, right? Number one, it's China versus the U.S., which we saw today. But at the same time, it's South Korea versus Japan where the Korean won plunged to basically three-year lows against the yen. And at the same time, the countries have removed one another from favorable export treaties. They've, they've curbed imports, things like that. Uh, you also have to consider the possibility of the U.S. versus the, you know, the dollar versus the euro. That's something that President Trump has talked about. Uh, there was supposed to be a bipartisan bill introduced into the Senate last week that would have effectively forced the Treasury to devalue the currency. Uh, Congress is now on recess. It's not unlikely that's going to go anywhere. But I think it does represent or it's symptomatic of that underlying tension that's there. So again, these things are all risks and, and, and you don't win a currency war just like you don't win a trade war. So if they spiral out of control, it's a risk. What I would watch to consider whether these risks come to fruition or not is CEO confidence. Mm-hmm. We've seen it roll over. If CEO confidence continues to fall, then you can forget about CapEx right. and you can, can, you can forget about hiring. Joe, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Joe's Idol, a.k.a. Jay-Z here on, on Jay-Z's the Jay-Z's the man. I like it. Um, Guy, go to you. September is a very important time for a lot of CEOs. Yeah. That's when they decide what money to spend, what and, plants to build, and things think like about that. The, think about the backdrop that they're looking at right now in terms of everything Joe and everything we've been saying for the last 15 minutes. It's not all that encouraging. If you're at home and trying to figure out this whole high-yield thing, it's not a perfect instrument, but put HYG on your screen and watch that. It closed today only down a percent. To Joe's point, it wasn't a disaster. And, and I'll say this quickly. You better hope it's a currency war and not a currency crisis. And again, a distinction that BK made, because if this is a crisis, the, and I say it all the time, you're going to walk in one day, gold's going to be up $100, everybody's going to discount it, it's going to happen for the next three days in a row. 
that's really what we should be concerned about. All right, we've got much more today's market meltdown. Be sure to catch a CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, commotion in the commodities market, crude and the metals moving big off of trade fears. One top technician will tell you why there's even more trouble ahead. Plus, Bitcoin roaring back to life as investors flee stocks with markets in turmoil. Could this finally be a new dawn for the cryptocurrency or new moon, maybe? Oh. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Commodities getting crushed in today's sell-off. Crude falling more than 1%, while Brent dropped nearly 3%. Copper also tumbling today to its 2019 lows. Our next guest says more pain could be coming for commodities. Let's get straight to the chart master, Carter Worth, to break it down with the plasma. Hey, Carter, what are you looking at? Sure, so many things, obviously, but this is in many ways the center of the storm. There's beta in commodities, cyclicality, and they are a sort of a gambling chip in many ways when trade wars are in play. Etc. and so forth. Um, the commodity index itself, it's an equal weighted index from corn and cotton and soybeans to steel, oil, net gas, copper. And, you know, you could say there's not a lot there, and yet at the same time we could draw lines. I would think one way you can draw the lines is as follows, that you have a fairly well-defined series of higher lows and then a big old plunge. Same thing here, a well-defined series of lows. It's the importance of levels. And both of these, in a way, set up like that, too. So you get into the apex, you get into the apex, and you drop. Um, not good. <laughs> no way around that. So a longer-term chart. These are the lows in 2016. And what I would say you can see is the following. That we've just now, let's zoom this in here, you can see that we've just now um, broken below that minor trend line on the bottom. And so I think the setup here calls for substantially lower moves in commodities. Let's pull it back and look at a few uh, other iterations. Here is an ETF you can play. It's the GSCI symbol GSG commodity uh, ETF. And what we know is that this has already broken. You can see it here too. Let me zoom in there just so you can see it. You've actually breached the lower level. Uh, that's not a good setup, and it's a fairly well-defined low from which we've just, again, come apart. In terms of crude, which is the big one, it's all the same general setup. It's the precision of the levels. It should make no sense fundamentally, and yet it happens all the time. And this kind of setup is more often not resolved the same way. And then finally, copper. Now, copper is hovering ominously at well-defined lows, and the betting here is, of course, that we break sharply. It really doesn't matter what commodity, uh, they're all under pressure, and the presumption is generally lower. Carter, come on over. We need you here at the desk. Bring them Big over. Big day. Lots of questions. Jonah will bring Thank the chair you. in, as he always does. Thank you, Jonah. So does this mean that the dollar chart indicates the dollar will go higher? 
Well, I mean, there's so much, there's a relationship long-term between the dollar and commodities, and yet in any given month or hour, any given six months period, this is just not true, right? And so while the dollar's broken out and then fallen back, I think, the, of course, the big play, if you want to get into that real macro sort of thing, the ultimate currency is going to be gold, <laughs> silver, Bitcoin here, for instance, rather than uh, the dollar. So gold, silver, Bitcoin, those look good to you. They do. And also classically defensive. What held up today? Utilities, uh, REITs, uh, just as would be expected. Have any charts been broken today? Broken in terms, in terms of, of the major market indices or major sectors? Well, sure. I mean, I, I guess the real the thing is day to day, could one say it's overdone? I think it is. I think you could get a bounce. But it's really about this. Either one accepts or doesn't accept the fact that global equities peaked in January of 2018 and it's never gotten better since. And that this has been an impressive rally this year, but bear market rallies usually are. So, Carter, I'm curious on, on the oil chart. I've heard a lot of people talking that it could be going much lower, just based on the technicals. Last time we had kind of a credit issue, oil went down to 20 bucks. Is that in the cards? <laughs> right. So if you think about it, it peaked in what, in July of 08 at 147 a barrel. It got down to, what, 24 or thereabouts in, in uh, 16. And here we are in the mid-50s. Why not? Right. Why can't it uh, go lower as much lower as the imagination will allow? Carter, if you look at the chart of copper, um, on some level that to me is the most concerning because to me that's actually the, the one commodity that's probably got the most supply-demand balance of, of all of them. I actually think copper could have some potential for disruption. But it looks to me like a head and shoulders. Talk to me. You've probably been staring it at that one. Bit, yeah, it is just exactly that. I didn't happen to uh, draw it that way, but one could have, one should. Yeah. All right, Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter, Braxton, Worth. Tim, you're mentioning emerging markets really got slammed in today's session. Yeah, so EMs is oversold now as they have been since 2011, which says a lot for emerging markets and continues to make fresh nine-year lows on a relative basis to the S&P. That's scary. Yeah. Karen? Um, I, it's, it's interesting to me, though, emerging, when things get so, so ugly, I'm going to start to look to, I have some exposure, I'm going to start to look to add. Mm. All right. You can read more about today's commodity sell-off on our website, CNBC.com. Meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Stock slammed as trade tensions grip Wall Street. Is now the time to rethink your investment strategy? We're breaking out our protection playbook. Plus, Bitcoin surging again today as investors dump out of stocks. So, is this the beginning of a bigger breakout? Stick around. Fast Money is back after this quick break. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
We have that breaking news on North Korea. Let's get to Eamon Javers at the White House with the latest. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, South Korean media now reporting that the North Koreans have fired two what they're calling projectiles toward the east. Uh, no indication of what these projectiles might be, if they're missiles or something else, or even what type of missiles they might be. No confirmation of that from the U.S. side just yet, and no word uh, in reaction in the, in the past couple of minutes here uh, from the White House. But you remember last week there was a similar uh, weapons test from the North Korean side firing off two projectiles at that time. The president uh, sort of shrugged that off last week, suggesting that because of the type of missiles the North Koreans had fired last week, he wasn't as concerned. It didn't violate uh, his agreement with Kim Jong-un. This is a president who is eager to keep those uh, talks on track with the North Koreans. The dialogue that he's had with Kim Jong-un will see whether this amounts to anything more significant than what we saw last week. And I'll bring you an update as soon as we get it from the Pentagon or from the White House of what type of missile uh, we might be talking about here, Melissa. All right, keep us posted. Eamon, thank you. Yeah. Eamon Javers at the White House for us. Uh, BK, you were mentioning um, the WAN, the Korean WAN. Yep. Korean WAN. So this is yet another thing to put on the plate of South Korea. Well, not only put on the plate, but I, I would not dismiss this as being something different than the trade war and or currency war crisis that we're having right now. We know that China has very strong ties in North Korea, so this is one more thing to add. All right, let's get back to the U.S. markets here. It was a rough day on Wall Street. Stocks closing out their worst day of 2019. Tech, energy, financials bearing the brunt of today's pain. So what's next for your money? Let's bring in Fundstrat's head of research, Tom Lee. Tom, great to have you with us. Good to see um, you. Your year-end price target is 31.25. Yep. How are you feeling about that today? Uh, still feel really confident about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like we're watching another horror movie, a movie trailer, right? Fed miscommunication, Trump tweets, China retaliates. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, U.S. still is the equity Tina, right? There's no other place to go. I think the PMIs are going to strengthen by the end of the year. The long-term yield curve has been communicating that for 16 months. And, you know, this is the best year for equities since 2009. So I, as much as I understand why markets are nervous, I still think this is a bullish setup. You're not worried about the possibility of a currency war? Uh, yes, I think that there, um, not only is there a currency war, I think that there's a lot of nervousness across a lot of markets. But I think the U.S. is still pretty well positioned fundamentally. And I think, you know, if you think about how much is priced in, you know, the VIX term structure inverted today. So, I mean, it's not like markets are just discovering nervousness. They've been nervous for six days and today was a, a big crescendo. So the bond markets are interesting. We talk about this all the time. 20, now 5% of all sovereign bonds, negative yields. Swiss 50-year yields are negative. I mean, some stuff that you would never even considered 10 years ago. Is any of this problematic at all? I mean, it, it really speaks to, I think, the divergence of demographics, you know, I mean, it, to make things even worse, high yield bonds in Europe have negative yields, right? 14 high yield issuers are issuing at negative rates. Um, look, population, where population's been shrinking, we have negative yields. And so I think it's de a deflationary setup. U.S. is still growing um, organically, and I think real GDP, and I think U.S. corporate profits are strong. So I think it's a, a divergence. If you look at S&P versus rest of the world, it's really broken out to new highs. I mean, we're talking 50-year highs, and I think that that's really the next couple-year story. So global turmoil, volatility in the, in the equity markets, um, currency, a currency war, those would all be good things for Bitcoin, and yet you don't necessarily think that, for instance, there's a currency war that's going to happen. So why do you think Bitcoin is going to launch to new highs on the back of all this? Yeah, um, well, Bitcoin's done something pretty interesting this year. You know, last couple of years, it's been really correlated to dollar. So weak dollar has been good for Bitcoin, strong dollar has been weak. 
and it's been really correlated to risk markets. This year, it's delinked from the dollar because the dollar's been strong, Bitcoin's been up, which is a real breakage. It's gone negative on correlation to the equity markets, and now it's positively correlated to gold. So I think Bitcoin is proving itself this year to be a hedge against global risks. I think that makes it an authentic institutional source of diversification. I think that's going to help it propel to new highs. Is it contradictory, though, Tom, for you to say we're confident about a rally to 3125? We don't see all of these worries that everybody else is factoring in as worries as, as real threats, and yet we do see Bitcoin rallying because it's going to be a hedge against all sure. of that. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think what, yeah, it's so, you know, not to be too glib, S&P going to 3125 is, you know, is a 5% in the second half of 2019. So it's basically what you expect in a normal year for equities after a really strong first half. Do, does S&P and Bitcoin have to move up on the same days? They don't. Um, you know, we've sort of been bullish on Bitcoin because crypto winners over and the technicals are improving. And I think there's a whole roadmap of how f there's more fiat to crypto on ramps developing. That's really bullish for Bitcoin, but it doesn't have to be bullish for equities. All right, Tom, great to see you. Thanks great. for coming great by. Tom you. Lee, a fun strat. Where so, do you think Bitcoin goes now? I think certainly new highs. I mean, so the one the one thing that I would say about Bitcoin, for the first time since I've been in it since 2013, we are actually starting to see real institutional players using Bitcoin as a hedge and buying into Bitcoin. That was not the case a few years ago. If you remember in 2017, we were all waiting for this herd to come and they never showed up. The herd is here right now and people are allocating to it. So that is a change this year. So the store of value part of the Bitcoin story is mm -hmm. changing now from a the alternative to central banks and fiat currencies would you say is i mean yeah i think i think people the, the narrative of why you own bitcoin uh, is starting to unfold in front of our eyes we're seeing that happening with with these currency wars and the thing about bitcoin I don't want to get too far off here, but it's, it's reflexive. So the higher it goes, the more you want to own of it because it's a better store of value as it goes up. Let's clearly. say you are like many people out there watching the show and you don't want Bitcoin and don't think it's a hedge. There are plenty of people who fall into that camp. If not Bitcoin, then what as your hedge in times like this? Oh, well, I mean, first of all, U.S. Treasuries, uh, they're going to go lower. And, and if you look at the relative spreads between Europe and all these you know, 15 trillion uh, in negative yielding bonds, but also a flight to quality, you're going to get that. There's no question. Look, gold, gold took basically five years to break out through 1350. And we've had a couple now surges in the last uh, two months that have not only reinforced that move, but certainly tell you that gold can go higher. All right, still ahead. Trading the tech rack, Apple falling hard in today's sell-off. So what should you do if you own this name? We'll get some answers straight ahead. But first, we found a rare green arrow in today's sea of red, the one defensive stock that is held up in this sell-off. We're digging into that name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Three big movers standing out to us in today's sell-off. So uh, let's start off with Caterpillar. You see they're down two and a quarter a third percent getting it hard today. Um, China confirming it will stop buying agricultural products from the U.S. Catho has always been, we've always called this a trade war stock, Tim. It has been. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think actually the, the correction that was made in both just kind of the mining supply out there and, and their core markets was done five years ago for this company. The company's never been run better. Um, and to the extent that you are seeing a slowdown in global PMIs, though, I have to tell you, I still don't feel the need to chase the stock, even though the valuation isn't that difficult right now. Yeah. Um, 
You would yeah. have thought, or I would have thought, that it would have been down more, yeah. actually. I, I actually would have thought this would have been the epicenter of it. G- given the fact that the Dow was down almost 800, not over 900 at some point in time, this has been kind of ground zero for the trade war. So I would call this actually a relative win today. All right. Um, let's move on to Target here. The retailer finishing lower, but it held up relative to peers. The stock getting some support thanks to an upgrade uh, from Deutsche Bank. Karen, you own this. I do own this. I mean, yeah, I thought it was a win today here as well. I think that, you know, for all of the macro uncertainty and the trade war, the consumer is still doing well. We haven't yet seen how these tariffs, well, China's paying them, so the consumer doesn't need to worry about it. But it could be that the consumer might actually have to pay them. Still, though, the consumer's doing well. They're employed, um, you know, and wages are rising. I like the space, and I think they can take on Amazon. I was surprised it held up even well after there was a threat that it would be 25% on the remaining $300 million in goods imported from China. Look, again, Karen's talking about a, a consumer of targets who, who basically is doing very well right now. They're the same people, by the way, that are spending in McDonald's and the same people that are supporting a lot of these other trades that remain very, uh, very defensive in this environment. We haven't seen the feed through to, to pricing. And, and that's something that I think for those guys who have higher labor costs, it is something to be concerned about. All right, here is the rare bright spot in today's sell-off. You ready for this one? North Grumman, NOC. Finishing the day higher by half a percent. Guy. I think, listen, it's a defense name, 15 multiple, not expensive, pushing up against levels we last saw April 2016, I believe. I think it's telling you something. The same way I think Target's trying to tell you something. To me, Target was people rotating out of Walmart, getting into Target. Maybe I think that makes sense. But the fact that this stock is up today, I think people are saying, wait a second, not that expensive, probably somewhat insulated from all the nonsense that's going on. I think you can own the stock for another 12 to $15. Defense, defensive? Defensive, right. And I mean, if you think that there's going to be some other things going on, perhaps you might put some money to work here. But I think even more impressive, this was a $220 stock at the end of 2018. So on a day like today, to hold up this well after a rally like that says there's tremendous relative strength. All right, coming up, Semi is having their worst day since May. We will break down the chip wreck, tell you if more trouble's on the way for this group. Plus, will the sell-off spill overseas? What you can expect when Asia opens in just a few hours from now? We're headed live to Singapore when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chip stocks hit hard in today's sell-off, the group having its worst day since January. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco with more. Hi, Aditi. Hi, Melissa. The semis definitely took a beating on those trade worries. Across the board, chip makers were in the red. Some of the top losers included NVIDIA, Universal Display, LAM Research, and AMD and Micron. And the SMH has its worst day since the beginning of the year, down more than 4%. Goldman Sachs recently putting out a note listing the Russell 1000 companies with the greatest exposure to China. And Corvo, Qualcomm, Micron, and NVIDIA are among the top six companies on that list. Chip makers are affected by the tariffs in a couple of different ways. First, these companies rely on Huawei, which uses their chips for smartphones and laptops. Huawei is on a blacklist that prevents U.S. companies from selling its products to the Chinese firm. Also, in the latest list of proposed tariffs, the largest categories include smartphones, PCs, and game consoles, all of which use chips. Analysts are taking note. Mizuho chimed in on last week's announcement by the administration, saying it does not leave much time for suppliers to build inventories or pull in. Meantime, some CEOs of chip manufacturers are also speaking out about the trade impact. Micron CEO Sanjay Mahotra said during the company's most recent earnings call with 
economic and trade challenges facing the industry, the near term continues to be uncertain. And just last week, AMD CEO Lisa Su said during AMD's earnings call, while we remain cautious given the fluidity of the situation, the impact to date has been limited and offset by growing momentum in other parts of our business. Meantime, the Semiconductor Industry Association says year-to-date sales during the first half of 2019 were 14.5% lower than the same point in 2018. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. It's not just the chip stocks, by the way. Apple had its worst day since May. The stock has been under intense pressure since last week when President Trump announced tariffs on an additional $300 billion worth of Chinese goods. So is the worst still yet to come for Apple and the semiconductors? Tim. Well, first on semis, you're down almost 13% in eight sessions. This was after going up 36% in 25 sessions. So the volatility here shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, to me, if you want to look at the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semis, uh, I think somewhere around 104, 105, you, you better find some support. But right here, I think there's enough uh, headwinds in terms of the global cyclicality. Again, three-year lows on, on uh, 10-year lows on Hong Kong PMIs. All of Asia, most of Asia is in negative territory. Uh, and to Apple, I, look, we have fresh data points. We certainly have fresh you know, reinvigoration in terms of the services story. Uh, I am a long-term holder here. I, I don't see uh, the current environment um, more than the cyclicality of the moment being a reason to trade Apple. Guy? Well, it's interesting. You know, Apple's become a, a pretty decent trade. And I understand why you want to own it, not look at it, because over the course of the last 10 years, it's been astronomical. I get it. But go back to August of last year when the stock made an all-time high of 227, and then look where we cratered to by the fall, and then look at where we just topped out. And we talked about this not only with Apple, we talked about it with the setup in Facebook and with the setup in Amazon. Point is, where's your entry point? Again, I don't know if it gets there, but if, you're, if you've never been in a name and you're looking for a level that makes sense on a number of different metrics, you know, the 175 level sets up really well in AAPO. We've had the discussions of whether or not Apple is a trade war stock or not before. Yeah, I think it is. I think it I is. I think it is. Also. I think when you, when you listen to the conference call and you look at where the growth is outside of the services, they're talking about China being a growth area. We heard some anecdotal evidence of originally uh, people in China kind of boycotting Apple because it was an American product. So I think it's exposed just like anybody else. Plus, remember, they make a lot of those things over there. Yeah, I'm nervous about that one. If you think about China, just, all right, where do we hit them where it really hurts? What's an iconic company? Yeah, that everybody wants to What can we really go own. after? Right. <laughs> and so Boeing and, uh, you know, Boeing on the corporate front and for consumers, Apple. But, I mean, really- we, we've, we've tried to dismantle Huawei. I mean, haven't we, you know, haven't we given them ample opportunity to do something dramatic to this point in terms of a pushback? And I realize the stakes are escalating here, but um, let's be clear. I mean, we basically, uh, we, we, we charged the, the, the daughter of the effectively the daughter of Steve Jobs and threw into jail. But it's escalating movements towards right. Huawei in the latest round of talks. And so to the extent that this trade war has been is ramped up now, we pull back that olive branch. And you know what? We're like, then they say, yeah, guy, the boycott. Guys pointed this out. And today it feels like it with an exclamation point. We are farther away from a trade deal of any kind than we've ever been because of all these little battles along the way on stuff that, frankly, was not really what we we're here to fight about. The all fact, right. you know, the, the, buying ag products right now shouldn't be throwing the world into a tissy. All right. Well, we are just a few hours away from markets opening up in Asia, and it could be a rough ride following today's Wall Street sell-off. Let's get to Sri Jagaraja, who is live in Singapore with the early Asia setup. Hey, Sri. Hi, Melissa. 
Yeah, well, uh, we're looking at another round of uh, heavy selling today in uh, the Asian markets. The risk aversion is back. You guys were talking about it. The volatility is back, really driven by this uh, tariff escalation. Um, the Nikkei at a two-month low yesterday and really aggravated by uh, the dollar-yen rate. So money heading into the relative safe harbor of the Japanese yen. That took the currency to its highest level in seven months against the dollar. So expect the same playbook today. And currencies, you guys were talking about it again, squarely in focus with the dollar yuan. The Chinese currency breaking seven against the U.S. dollar. Highly significant, politically a very highly charged level. It creates outflow risk at the same time. Very challenging to service dollar-denominated debt, remember. And of course, it could potentially spark off a round of competitive devaluation in this region. So summing up, we are looking at another round of heavy selling, heavy losses today in the Asian markets. And I do want to single out Hong Kong and the Hang Seng as a market in particular that could underperform today. Not only is it at the pointy end of uh, the trade conflict, but also it's having to contend with some pretty nasty and unprecedented uh, political unrest today as well. Back to you now. All right, Sri, thank you. Sri Jagaraja in Singapore for us. And we haven't even talked about the yuan fixing, which happens in just about three hours' time. That's going to be a key event to see whether or not China further presses on the yuan after yesterday's fixing at a lower midpoint. Right. So, again, I want to point out that a break of seven on the yuan is not necessarily of significance on an economic level. It's not a, it's not a you know, PPP level. It's not a level that suddenly throws them into, uh, you know, a area where they can't be competitive. I, I just think this gets to a place where we start to feel like there will be speculation against it. Let the markets now be the ones that determine what China's going to do because their capital flight from China has been an issue at various times for the last four years that markets have struggled with. Yeah. What are we looking for at the when Asia opens, I mean, what it's, in terms of it's, indicators for the U.S.? Well, it's got to be, I mean, a couple different things. One, the U.S. dollar, Japanese yen, which is trading right now, if the U.S. dollar drops versus the Japanese yen, that's a risk-off signal. You also want to watch the RMB, the, the, the uh, Chinese uh, currency. There are two Chinese currencies, one that trades in Beijing, one that trades in Hong Kong. The one that trades in Hong Kong is indicating we're going to get more devaluation for the uh, RMB. So just to be clear, the one that trades in Hong Kong is called the offshore, offshore. yuan, and it, right. it, it's more freely traded than the one that trades in Beijing. Precisely. And the China. spread between those two are the largest level since 2016. All right. We've been watching here on the desk uh, the 10-year yield. We've been watching it all morning, but uh, it, it just touched 1.709%. That's the lowest level since October of 2016. It's back up to uh, 1718, but still. Shocking. Wow. Shocking. Yeah. Wow. yeah. What, what's the fallout What was the here? levels? I mean, think about I think we were at 325 in November. So, so effectively in eight months, we've, we've cut completely it in half. cut it in half. And think about where we were the night of the presidential election. If I'm not mistaken, where we trade down, like 152 or something. I'm, I'm trying to recollect, but in the 10-year. And we're within a whisper. You think we, t- yeah. we test well, that? Well, I mean, it, it's, it certainly appears that way. If we test that, what does that mean for U.S. equities? I, I think Watch equity markets below. will be down. Yeah, but I, 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 you know what? I'm going to be a little positive oh. on a day like today. What? So think about the things we've talked about, right? We have lower yields, which are going to be great for the U.S. consumer, particularly the housing. And let's say oil drops even more. There's your quote-unquote tax cut for the consumer. So there is some silver lining out there. It's just we got to get through this period of volatility. All right, coming up, one options trader just made a $5 million bet against the market. Full details ahead. Plus, you're looking at the Kramer cam, and Jim is gearing up for a very big show tonight. He'll break down today's sell-off at the top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Today's market sell-off, flashing major warning signals to investors. And as trade tensions ratchet higher, one option traders betting $5 million bucks that the pain has only just begun. Mike Coase from San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. Hi. We did see quite a lot of options action today, actually, in the markets. We usually see about 20 million contracts trade in the U.S. listed options market on any given day. Today we saw over 30 million trade. And in SPX, which is basically the biggest proxy that we have in most of the markets to trade, the S&P 500, one of the trades that we saw where puts were double the volume of calls and also double their average daily volume, was a purchase of 2,250 of the October 31st expiration 2,500 strike puts for $22.30 each. So that's a bet of a little over $5 million against the risk that the S&P 500 could decline below it's all the lows for the entire year. And that would obviously represent a significant decline from where we are right now. And to put some perspective on the size of this trade, that would be a hedge against a portfolio of about $560 million. All right, Mike, thanks for the action, options action. Um, we have breaking news here. You might have seen it at the bottom of your screen. Uh, Treasury is designating China as a currency manipulator. So if there was a question as to whether or not this is a trade war. The U.S. is fired back, it seems, with the U.S. Treasury saying that China is now a currency manipulator. What do we look for now? Well, I mean, that's not bullish. And they have been a manipulator, except they're manipulating it the other way. They've been trying to prop up their currency for the last... 18 months, much different conversation. To answer your question, that's another shot across the bow. That's not bullish. We don't have futures trading, so we don't know what the reaction is. What's your guess? Well, we do have U.S. dollar Japanese yen trading, and that's making new lows, and that's highly correlated with the S&P. So I would think that the S&P trades much lower tomorrow. So that, in other words, that's a, a more of a bid to the, for safe haven. Much more yeah. bid to a safe haven, yeah. Okay. Uh, final trades up next. Let's recap the breaking news that came across in just the past five minutes. The U.S. Treasury Department now designating China a currency manipulator. So the currency war is on, and we've been looking at the reactions in the market. BK, you're pointing out U.S. dollar, Japanese yen Which is, is a, really feeling the most. Yeah, this uh, is a risk-off uh-huh. indicator, and so that's really seeing, you're seeing a big move there. So we're noting that 1.709% of the 10-year yield. Watch that tomorrow. Final trade time, Tim. Industrials, if you listen to Jay-Z, Delta to me is a cheap valuation. BK. Given what's going on, I still think you can buy TLT. Yield's going lower. Yeah. Karen. The market's down a lot. I'm selling some puts. Guy Downey. Viacom CBS has legs. V-I-A-B. All right. That does it for us on a very big market day. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to catch live coverage, markets, and turmoil tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time. But first, Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.